Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where I teach you how to step into the arena of bigness, all the while creating more joy along the way. That's right. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness and bravery, and putting our bigness into the world. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach, who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you really love. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Today, I want to welcome my guest, Ashley Brigenschmidt. Ashley is a principal at Sharon Elementary. She has been the principal there for 10 years. And let me just tell you, they have a lot of honors to their school. They are an exemplary A school, nine times a four-star school, three times and a promising practice school. Um, Ashley also was the Indiana Elementary Principal of the Year in 2019-2020 and the 2019 Indiana District 11 Principal of the Year. Now, I crossed paths with Ashley way back when I was giving a presentation and she and some of her teachers attended my presentation and I immediately just connected with her realness. Um, And so I can't wait for her just authenticity to show up today. And I'm really happy and honored to have you on the show, Ashley. Thank you, Kim, for inviting me. And I always love any time I spend with you because I always leave feeling so much better. Just your positive energy, it just radiates through you. Oh, thank you. Actually, you know, I think one of your teachers, and it might be a testimonial that we still use today, but one of your teachers had written like, I love Kim Strobel's contagious enthusiasm for life. And I was like, that's one of the highest compliments I've ever gotten. (laughs) Well, it's true. It is very true. Yeah. So I specifically today want to discuss, Ashley, uh, the tragedy that has been in your life. Um, You lost your daughter at a very young age um, and you have had a lot of trauma and fires to walk through. And I want to talk to you about this very hard topic um, because I want to understand a little bit more about grief and trauma and what that's done in your life. But also somehow you are just really an amazing person who has shown us that as hard as life can get, it does go on and you can learn to smile again and you can learn to create moments of joy. Um, and you've just really been an example of that. And, and one of the things that I'm not going to lie, I'm going to tell you that when I do the happiness research and it tells us that only 10% of our long-term happiness comes from our external circumstances, right? So like, What kind of job do we have? What kind of losses have we endured? Um, And I've really struggled with that piece. Like I, I I mean, I'm positive that the the death of your daughter eats up way more than 10% of the pie. But when we look at it holistically and we see all of the other things that you are now doing, that, that that particular trauma has spurred you to do. I just can't really wait to 
pick your brain apart some of this research and is that really true and how does that resonate with you? You know, I even worry about that when I'm on stage and I say, you know, 10% of our long-term happiness comes from our external circumstances. And so in my head, Ashley, I'm thinking like, yes, we can all recover from a divorce. We can all recover from losing our spouse. Uh, We can all recover from cancer or, or these kinds of things. But the one thing that gets stuck in my head really is, I don't understand how I could ever recover from the loss of a child. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know, what are your thoughts on all of that? And, and, and I want you to tell the story about Kate and what happened to her first, and then let's get into your thinking on all of that. Sure. Uh, well, Kim, almost five years ago, my 11-year-old daughter, Kate, was killed in an ATV crash She had played softball one morning in Jasper, and my husband was with her, and I was with my other daughter, Emma, and she was playing softball in Petersburg. So it was kind of a divide and conquer. You know, mom goes one place with one kid, dad goes with the other. Um, And typically in the softball world, you play a game, and then you sit out a game, and then you play another game. Well, on this day, both girls won their first game, and they had like a four or five hour break between games. So my husband, Eric, called me and said, Hey, Kate wants to go with some of her teammates after they won their first game um, to one of their houses. They were just going to hang out. And he said, we'll meet him. You know, we'll meet him back here. What do you think? Well, kind of rewind back to Kate is Kate was very, very anxious. She had a lot of separation anxiety. She maybe spent the night with three people in her 11 years. She was very much a homebody. She always wanted to be with at home, but most importantly, probably with me. She went to elementary school with me. Uh, She never really asked to do a lot. So when Eric told me that, I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm so glad she wants to go with her friends, with her teammates. She was very social, but she just had that anxiety of she just liked being with us or us being with her. So I, I told him, I'm so glad she wants to go to a friend's house. You know, absolutely, it's good. So Eric met Emma and I at home and we weren't home probably an hour, hour and a half. And, uh, that phone call came in that they had told us that Kate had been in an accident and that we needed to, to report to the scene, which is, was in Spencer County. And I remember when Eric told me, I, I thought maybe they were in a car accident. Like I just couldn't process what was going on. And he told me that the girls were riding ATVs and I remember looking at him and saying, what did she do? Break her arm? Like she was so scared, Kim, to do anything. Like she was always just fearful of of doing anything kind of out. Just, she was just anxious. That's the best word that I could could think of. Um, So your brain, your brain didn't even go... So when you got that phone call, cause like I have a, a catastrophizing brain. So like my brain immediately goes to the, like, I would have been like, oh my God, you know, yeah, has something terribly happened, but your brain simply went to like, is this a broken arm or what happened here? Yes. I could not wrap my head around it. And, um, even as we're driving to the scene, I could tell by my husband's response that something was, was really wrong. Well, I just started calling I called 911 and I started begging LifeLight to make sure that they were, they were going to get there. And, um, I have a few friends that were physicians. And so I'm calling and I'm asking them like, will they be at the hospital? Like that she's hurt. And I just, so I needed people to, to be there to take care of her. And I remember getting to this when we arrived at the scene 
life flight was never there. And the 911 operator, I still remember five years almost to date, um, her just telling me that it was going to be okay. And she's so calm. And she was, um, you know, she was just so reassuring, even in that moment. I mean, I'm screaming and crying, like, I'm not seeing the helicopter. Why is, why is it not here? And, um, I still remember, remember how just kind this lady on the phone was to me as I'm screaming, worrying about what was going on with my child. And are you, are you at the scene right now? No, no, you're You're in the car. We're just driving. And I'm, so I'm still not knowing like, you know, really how, how bad this is. And I, I look up and I, I never see a cop, you know, a helicopter. When we arrive at the scene, um, people just started walking toward us. And I remember them telling us that, that she had died instantly, um, that, they, she was dead whenever they called us. Um, and I had, but they didn't tell your husband that. No, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, my husband later told me that, um, he was, he, he was worried that, um, she, that she had died, but they had not said that for sure. Um, and you know, you talk about strength and courage, Kim, I, Kim, I ran down the road miles down the road and laid on the ground and people, cars were stopping and asking what was wrong. Um, I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. I'm physically sick. Um, so, you know, I couldn't face what happened that day. I couldn't face what happened for, for months. Um, you know, you, you're, it's a parent's worst nightmare. You send your child to a friend's house to play and they never come back. You know, we think we're going to see her back on the softball field and, and we never saw her again. And I had a six year old in the car with me, you know, Emma was with us driving to the scene and it took a long time for like, I'm like, who, who took care of her? Because, because I couldn't. Um, and even, even at the scene, you know, my husband saw Kate four or five times before I ever saw her, um, because he protected me from that. And I've, I've talked to a lot of moms who have had similar experiences, whether a car accident or other traumatic events. And, and that's one thing that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the reason my head of Kate are of the beautiful 11 year old girl that, that I know, not, um, the scenes that I had to see at, at the accident or at the scene. Um, I was, I was protected from those. Now, does your mind, do I have nightmares of what I think that looked like? Yes. But in my heart, I still remember that, that 11 year old girl. So I, I'm thankful that I don't have those, those, those visions. So you, you arrive on the scene and there's all of these people and is there an ambulance there? Oh yeah, there were ambulance, uh, police officers, conservation officers, uh, neighbors. And you have to think there were four other teammates. So there are four other 11 year old girls who were at the scene. And there was a teammate that was on the back with her whenever it happened. So um, she was driving. So Kate was driving and one of her teammates was on the back um, of an adult size four wheeler and neither one of them were wearing a helmet and two of her other teammates were in a side by side and they were both wearing a helmet. And so did they go up a hill and flip? So, and that was something that was really hard for me is because I wanted to know, you know, like what happened and they went from concrete to the grass and it was a very like rugged ATV. And the investigating officer said that the tires, when it went from like blacktop to grass, 
that they just tried to like dig in and that the four wheeler just, it flipped over. So it flipped over and I guess, did it break her neck? Is that what happened? Nope. Um, that she, whenever it flipped over, the girl in the back jumped off and Kate stayed on and the back tire hit her in the head and she died instantly from massive cerebral disruption, blunt force trauma to her head. All of the trauma was, was to her head. She still had her softball chest guard, her heart guard that we would have her wear. Um, she was, you know, she was still wearing that, but all of the trauma was to her head. And like I said, as her parents, we, we didn't even know she was on a four wheeler. My main concern was they have an in-ground pool and that they were going to play a softball game in four hours. And I didn't want her to swim and get tired. And yes. I tell my parents all the time, I wish they would have went swimming that day. Yes. Yes. And that's probably, you know, <laughs> I mean, I imagine that you have thought of a million, like, why couldn't they have had a softball game an hour later like they always did? Like, you run through this scenario of all of the, but, and I'll just give you an example, and please know I'm not comparing my dog at all to your daughter, but literally George jumped off the back of the truck and herniated a disc, my dog, and had to have this spinal surgery, and he almost lost his life over it. And I kept saying, why did I have to go to Dairy Queen that night to get a blizzard? Because if I hadn't gone to Dairy Queen that night to get a blizzard, he would have never jumped off the back of the truck like he always does when he gets home. Like I kept going through all of that. And so I can imagine that that's what you did. Like why just one little decision changed everything. Those what ifs. Like I would, I would what if myself to death. What yeah. if we didn't let her go to the friend's house? What if the softball game was an hour? What if this? What if we wouldn't have played in that tournament? Um, and I had a good friend who, he, and a police officer, and he, we were just talking about trauma, and he just said, it just is. And he would, Ashley, it just is. It just is. And we would, I would talk through it, and I would talk through it, because you do. You want to what if yourself to death. Yeah. Yeah. But there it's, it's, do you believe that this was like almost a predestined trajectory? Like, have you been able to surrender to the fact that life just plays out exactly, unfortunately, like it, it's already kind of predetermined or what are your thoughts on that? You know, Kim, that, that is a struggle that I, that I have um, trying to figure out, you know, I always joke and say that God and I have a love hate relationship sometime. And that was a huge struggle because as a mom, you know, and you see all kinds of things as an, as an administrator, people who murder their kids, people who don't take care of and neglect their kids. And you work hard to keep kids safe every day. And in the end, you know, my job every day is to keep 750 kids safe and I couldn't keep my own kids safe. Or I work all the time with these people who um, maybe struggle or neglect their kids. Or you see, you know, like I said, people who murder their kids. And I don't do any of those things. And my kids still died. And yeah. it was, like I said, God and I have a love-hate relationship mm -hmm. sometimes. And my husband is the voice of reason in that a lot of times. And, you know, people would say, you know, that there was some predetermined that God has some plan. And yeah, I don't like that whole God has a plan or a reason. I don't like that language at all. Don't tell me there's, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> 
So I, I really just believe that. And I don't think that God creates the accidents. I just think he's there to, to welcome them when bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things. And that's what I have to tell myself. (laughs) Right. Because I think like one of the things that really triggers me is when someone says, you know, um, God has a plan. God has a reason behind. Like, I want to say, don't tell me that, you know, I just, I don't even know how to talk it through, but I just know that when somebody says that, I think that's the last thing you should say to some. I, I just, that's my own personal feeling, you know? Right. Like, and it's easier for someone to say when God's plan wasn't taking their 11 year old daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. I had the same conversation with priests right after because I needed someone to explain this to me, how something like this can happen. And, um, I actually got upset with one of the first priests that we met with because that's kind of what he was trying to explain to me. And, and it, it wasn't okay. Like I did not, I couldn't accept that. Yeah. So then, you're at the scene of the accident. And are you okay with me walking through this with you? Sure. Absolutely. You're at the scene. Is is she still right where she was right after the accident or had they moved her? Um, they, they had not moved her. Um, and like I said, I, I ran down the road and so I did not, I never saw Kate at the scene until the coroner got there. And, um, I helped my husband and my family, um, and I mean, they put her, you know, in a bag and I helped them put them, put her, um, in the car to take to the funeral home. So I actually never saw Kate until, um, the showing at the cemetery or at the funeral home, the private one, um, for our family. My husband saw her at the scene and identified her and, um, he saw her twice at the funeral home and he just told me that she wasn't perfect yet that she had to be perfect um, before I could see her. And I just, I respected that. And I'm so grateful for, for him for doing that. Um, because she, she was perfect when Mm. I had the chance to see her and I didn't have that trauma. Um, so I, I did not see her at the scene and actually the emergency response team, Eric told me that they, had told him they had her covered up, um, from the waist up. And they told him that they did not want him to lift up the sheet because of the trauma and things like that. And he was, he was grateful for, for that advice. Um, so he just said he could, you know, see her feet and her legs and rub her belly and things like that. Yes. So, Walk me through, so that was the year, was that 2015? Yes, July 2015. Okay, so you go through the funeral. I mean, like, walk me through what your life has been like since that day. You know, like, walk me through what what was it like after this happened? What What were you like, Ashley? What emotions did you go through? What was the grief like? What is it like for you today? Like, just speak to me about this topic of grief and your journey within it and through it. You know, Kim, the person I am today is definitely not the person that I was um, five years ago. 
before Kate was killed. I even think the person that I am today is not the same person I was before you are a school administrator. Your experiences, your life experiences, they change you. You're, you're never going to be the same person, good, bad, or indifferent. They, they change you. Um, as far as Kate's funeral, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't function. My sister, my friends, they, my staff, they helped plan her funeral. I couldn't even take a shower. They would put me in the shower. They actually, I mean, I remember them washing my hair. Um, I could not function. I could not get out of bed. Um, the first night was, was awful because I couldn't come to terms that it was really true. And I remember trying to go to sleep and waking up and running up to her room and I'm destroying her room. And I know that she's not there. Um, but I couldn't come to grips with that. She wasn't there. And I just kept telling my family that I had to take care of her, that who was taking care of her right now, that that's my job and she's not here. And how do I know someone's going to take care of her and who's taking care of her now? And that was, it was rough. Um, those, I mean, the year, two years, three years it is, but initially I really believe that your body just shuts down to protect you. And that's actually how I believe that I was able to even function was that your body just shuts down to protect you from all of the pain and the support system that I had, you know, my, like I said, my sister, my family, my, her classmates, our friends, her, the softball organization and the softball community, um, they did amazing things for us. And I, I really believe they're the ones that pulled that pulled me from the ashes. And I started just seeing the the beauty in Kate's life. And, you know, would I give up? Would I rather not have her for any years or 11 years? Well, I would absolutely rather have her for 11 years to never have her at all. And I remember us talking about that. And there's the difference and the different stories that um, about Kate during those 11 years. And it just started to make me grateful of the time that I, that I had for her. And I really believe that just that community support that's, I do not see how anyone can survive a trauma without a support system. And this community, they, they literally are the ones that helped, um, helped me find a purpose. And, it was probably two days whenever, you know, you have to do your obituary, her obituary. And we had to say, what do you want? What do you want money to go to? What do you want people to donate to? And I was like, I, I have no idea. I don't know. I can't make this decision. And some of our friends said, what about a playground, you know, out of, out of a softball complex where she practiced. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds great. And another friend said, well, why don't we call it play for Kate?" And someone else drew angel wings. Everything that Play for Kate is, it wasn't Ashley Bergenschmidt's idea. It was this community and her friends and her classmates. And so, you know, the, the foundation, the name, the, the playground, the scholarships, that all came from, from friends and from the community and those relationships with people. That, and then that started giving me a purpose to get out of bed in the morning, you know, okay, I have to go pick out, let's go look at the playground. We need to look at playgrounds. We need to come up with colors and it just play for Kate became my therapy. 
of how I could heal. And as a mom, that's your job every day, right? I do stuff for my now 12 year old Emma and you do stuff for your kids every day. And play for Kate was my way of continuing to, to do something for Kate, um, to honor her and her friends and, and the community. And it was just my way to, to heal. So the community, is it fair to say that the, the social support system that you had in place helped you redirect your energy towards the celebration of who Kate was and what she represented for the 11 years that she was here and a part of your life? Yes. Yes. You know, I want to talk about something else, Kim, though, when we were talking about those initial, those first few days and those, those weeks, of course you can't sleep. And so I read every book that I could on trauma and loss. And I would read a book a night. And I remember my sister saying, Ashley, why are you, why are you reading these books? So I would read a book, Radical Survivor. And it was um, about a mom who lost her husband and all of her kids and in an airplane crash. And, or I would read Choosing Hope, you know, from the teacher who survived Sandy Hook. And she was like, why are you, why are you doing this to yourself? And I did it because I needed to see that people could survive this hell that I was living in right now. And it validated what was going on in my head. So when I read about this mom who thought she was crazy and had ADHD and could not function, that's the way that I felt. So when I read that the mom in this book felt this way, then I knew maybe I wasn't crazy. And so those books would validate my feelings of what I was going through. But then also I could see that they survived. Like I needed to know that, that I could survive this hell, that, some, that people really do can, can survive this. Um, Soul Survivor, um, the, I think it was Holly Dunn's book, um, Option B. And all of those books talked about, you know, grief and loss and how they persevered. And they would talk about how helping others helped them heal. And that's kind of the same way I just have carried that with me through, through play for Kate. And whenever I really struggle, when I'm getting really sad or I'm really anxious and I will throw myself into, to play for Kate or doing things for ATV safety, um, just because it, it helps me heal. That, yeah, that's so good. I think what I'd like you to do is, email me the top five books, if you can pick five, because I think a lot of people who are listening to this have endured some type of tragedy or or loss. And it's maybe not as severe as, you know, for all of us. um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, Ashley, it's hard to talk to you because in my brain, I'm doing that whole like, I don't ever want this to be me and I don't ever want to have to lose a child. And it's like one of the most painful, vulnerable subjects to talk about. And when you talk about it, it it starts to make a a person kind of like paranoid because I'm like, I just, I don't ever want to have to go through this. I see the grief on your face. And, um, but yet I know that when we have examples of other people who have endured the worst of the worst and have somehow made it out the other side, it does give us hope. And so I think this is a really good tool that you just shared with my audience that worked for you that might be helpful 
to some of them. Um, and I'm relating it like, you know, when I had my relapse of panic disorder, which was just um, really difficult for me to go through, um, I too started reading success stories again of people who couldn't walk to their mailbox like I couldn't, but eventually found their way out. So my brain works like that too, which is please show me some examples that this is possible to survive and live again. And that might be really helpful to my audience just to have a resource of some books that you might recommend that can help those that are struggling right now. Sure, absolutely. And one other thing, Kim, that I want to talk about is I had another friend who she asked me to meet someone at Starbucks and it was like within a week after Kate had been killed. And it was another mother whose child had been murdered. And I told her that I would. Well, of course, the day came and I didn't think that I could go. And she she came and picked me up. And I still remember her opening the car door and she's like walking me in the Newburgh Starbucks to, to meet this mom. And I couldn't hold my head up, had my head on the table the whole time this lady was talking to me. Um, and now I think of how just rude and disrespectful that sounds, but I, I didn't have the strength to hold my head up. I could listen, but I couldn't, I couldn't look at her or, or hold my head up. And she was talking about me. She was telling me a story about what happened to her daughter and her daughter had been murdered by her ex-husband. And she's talking to me about grief and loss and forgiveness. And she's saying the words forgiveness. And I remember looking up at her, I lifted my head up and thought, this lady is an angel. Like, I, I don't see how she can even be sitting here talking to me um, about this. And that, that, that gave me hope also was to see another mom who, whose daughter had been killed and that she, she could still survive. And I asked her how she, how she got through and what were things that she did. And, and since that day, there's kind of a group of us that when something tragic happens in our community or another mom loses a child that we all reach out to them. And we just, I have moms who I have never met face to face, but I've exchanged hundreds of one o'clock in the morning text messages with them because they're having flashbacks of that night that they found out their child died or they don't think they can get through and just trying to, to help each other. So that, that goes back to a different type of support system of people that I never even knew existed, but how they, yeah. they help they help. Yeah, because they're evidence, they're evidence that, that you, I guess, can somehow make it. It's amazing to me that you were able to even get yourself to go. Like how necessary was that for you to go, even though probably everything in your body and mind screamed, you didn't want to go. Like you said, you almost had to be just dragged in there and, and you didn't have the energy to even lift your head but there was something inside of you that heard her, her message to you. And that mm -hmm. began to resonate with you. And I'm so glad to this day that my friend had made me go and, and for her. Yeah, that's so, see, this is really helpful because like I've told you, I have someone in my family who has endured a very terrible tragedy 
And to be honest, Ashley, I think I even reached out to you a few months ago and asked you for a couple of book recommendations. And I won't send them because I'm so scared that it's going to be like, you haven't lost a child, so don't be sending me shit that's going to help me. Like, I'm a little worried that it's, I don't even know what the term is, but are you saying that like I should send the books and we should as friends and, and people who love these people do things that maybe push them a little bit out of their uncomfort zone or, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm scared to send the books because I don't want it to be like, Hey, let me tell you what to do, even though I've never lost a child. But I feel like what you're saying is a little different. Sorry, you were cutting out just a little bit, but, um, I do, you know, what is it, Brene Brown, get uncomfortable or get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And several of my teachers came to me and said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Or they would apologize. Like, I, I don't want to say Kate's name. I don't want to just the fear of doing the wrong thing, of saying the wrong thing. And I remember telling them that I want them to talk about her. I want them to to ask about her. I want them, if they have a book to read, if they have ideas, I'm not going to forget that she died. I'm never going to forget what happened. And I don't, I don't, not, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to forget her. And if they have some idea that they think might help, then absolutely. I want, I want to hear about it. Um, I, Dr. Schrader at Easter Seals is a dear friend of mine. And he has been amazing at, at helping me heal. And has he ever lost a child? No, but a lot of the things that he talks about and he has helped me with, um, just is about just taking of your, of self care things that I, that I knew that I always stunk at. I'm always terrible at balance. I would always work too much. I feel like, okay, I might be killing it at work, but I'm not being a very good mom right now, or I'm being a terrible wife. And, um, you know, after Kate was killed, I really had to look at how I can be healthy holistically. You know, mm-hmm. he would talk to me about exercise, eating right, getting the right amount of sleep. Um, we talked about journaling and that was, that was a huge thing. And I still do a gratitude journal to this day. Um, I even do it sometimes with, with my staff and trust me, that gratitude journal at the beginning was rough to find anything that you are, are grateful for. And, and at the beginning, I would just write letters to Kate. Sometimes mm-hmm. I wrote letters to God, you know, that, um, or I would journal, or it would be a song that I heard, or a quote that someone, um, that I saw in a book, or something that someone said. And I, I still do that almost five years later, Kim, is I will, whether it's music or a quote, or in that I still journal, um, just to, it just helps me. Yeah, that's actually one of the top things that a person can do to both process and to get their, um, you know, brain back to positive or neutral. Like journaling is one of the, really, it's very helpful for anybody who is struggling with any area of their life. Um, So your family member, I wouldn't say that you would give them books to say, here, this is what you need to do, but to say, Hey, I know, you know, of a, of a mom who has went through a traumatic loss and these books in this journal helped her. And 
you you can give her my number, my email. I would, yes. I would be glad to to talk to her. Yes. Um, and even even the moms that we we exchange messages or chat with now, none of us are telling each other how to grieve. We're just there listening to each other and offering support and telling them, hey, this, this yeah, I, I do that or I've experienced that or this worked for me. Um, really so I, just to yeah. each other. I feel like the message that I'm hearing that I want to make sure my audience is hearing is that I have been staying safe because I've been worried about, but, but about making a mistake or, um, but, but what you're really saying is like, yeah, do it in a very delicate way, but like, don't just stay silent and avoid it. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And what you're saying is step in and really try to be there for that person, even if you don't know what to do, or even if you're scared of doing whatever it is that you still need to show up for that person. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because I'm able to show up to work every day and I was able to help get HEA 1200 passed and do the scholarships and play for Kate because I had people that showed up every day mm. and they were, it was uncomfortable. I know we had uncomfortable conversations and I know probably showing up for me on some days is hard because some days I'm still angry. I'm not very fun to be around sometimes because yeah. I'm pissed that my 11 year old daughter was killed and, and I had no say in anything that happened other than saying that she could go to a friend's house and, but they helped me work through it. And they help continue to get me to, to push through. This and is, so, yeah, this is really good. Being it's, present. Yeah, it's really good because as audience members, if we're listening to this story, I want you to really think, is there someone that you know or have been thinking about that you, you, you just play it safe, safe rather than leaning into that discomfort? And so having these conversations, this helps people know what is needed. And it's really helpful for you to share that with us. Now, I know that everybody's grieving timeline, if there isn't even a timeline, because I think it, it never ends. I know my own counselor dealing with some of the griefs that I've had, he kind of described it as a train. And he said, you know, a train has multiple cars and you might have seven cars on today's grief train. And and tomorrow there, there's only two and the next day there's 15. Like it's not that you ever get to the end of the grief. It will always, you'll revisit it from time to time or a lot of the time. But for you and for anybody who's listening, Ashley, who maybe has lost a child who does need a little bit of hope, like in my head, I'm just thinking, Ashley, when could you breathe again? When did you find yourself knowing that you weren't going to spend the rest of your life completely miserable because that's what you would think. Like I'm going to spend every waking hour for the rest of my life feeling like I do right now. I'm actually glad that you said that Kim, because I remember having this conversation saying that I struggled every day, especially, you know, that first month, those first two months, the first six months, so I would get up and I would fight like hell to get through every day. And I remember looking at my friend saying, just to go to bed. And I'm doing the same thing. 
that, that there is no end to this vicious cycle, that there is no end to this pain that I'm like, okay, if I survive this minute, if I can survive the next five minutes, if I can survive the next hour, and I would do it day after day, just to keep reliving the same thing of what happened? How did this happen? Why did this happen? And I could not, I didn't feel like it was ever, it was ever going to end. Um, and I, I would say the, that first year, I felt like that pretty much the whole time. I, um, I had a really, really hard time. And to be totally transparent, Kim, I've never taken any medicine for, since Kate was killed. Um, nothing for anxiety, nothing for depression. Um, and right after it was over, you know, my, my family called the physician and was like, she has to have medicine to sleep. She's got to have medicine. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, and luckily finding a good therapist, a good counselor, um, and being able to focus more on like just the holistic things, um, helped. And, and I go back to that support system and, and to play for Kate. Once I, we started building the playground and really got into the working towards the law, the helmet law, um, I could start seeing some, some light of, in the tragedy and, you know, the scholarships and um, I could start seeing Kate and her and her friends and the way they would continue to honor her. And it just a shift in my my head of instead of feeling about all the what ifs and all of focusing about all the opportunities that we were given um, from Kate, from having Kate and from from the community. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk about that because it's important to talk about the wins that have come from this tragedy. And so we have the Play for Kate Foundation, in which I want you to speak a little bit about that. Tell us what exactly that is and how it works. I mean, I know what it is, but my audience doesn't. So tell us about that. Um, Play for Kate is the foundation that we started um, days after Kate was killed. And we built a playground in Boonville, Indiana. There wasn't a playground at the softball field. So that was the first thing. And it was dedicated on Kate's birthday. So within around six, seven months from Kate was killed, uh, we were able to raise enough money from this amazing community to build that, to build that playground. Uh, we are a 501c3. We're ran totally by volunteers. No one, no one gets paid. We have a softball tournament, a basketball tournament, and a golf scramble because Kate was very much about sports. And that's how we raise our money. Volunteers work at all of those things. We have given away 15 scholarships to graduating seniors in the tri-state um, area, lots of different schools. I don't think we've been up to Tell City or Perry County yet, so we'll have to encourage some of them to make sure they apply. We gave one to a senior at Tecumseh this year, one at Castle, and one at Boonville. But we don't just give them to Warwick County Schools. We give them to, to anyone. Um, and we, we get around 50 to 70 applicants every year. And what, do, um, what are you looking for? What kind of person receives this, this scholarship on behalf of Kate Bruggenschmidt? Did you say what do we look for? Yeah, like what do you look for and what kind of person receives the scholarship? Kate was very much about helping other people. She was a great classmate, a teammate, a great friend. 
she was always about putting other people before herself. So we really try to look for those characteristics in, in the applicants. She had a great attitude. She worked hard. Um, it's not about if you made straight A's. Typically, the essay that people write, that's, that's usually the determining factor um, of who gets the play for Kate scholarship is if they can portray the traits that made Kate who she was. Then so she, she embodied those traits. And let, I mean, at such a young age, to be that caring and service-oriented and empathetic and um, caring at such a young age, I mean, those are traits that sometimes take a really long time to develop, but she embodied that from early on. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. And I don't think we realized it near as much as until after she was killed when her teachers, her coaches, um, other parents, complete strangers would tell us stories that, that we never knew about her. Yeah. And that, that kind of helped us because you're right up and close with her. So you don't see it, but everybody else is seeing what she's doing behind the scenes. Yes. And for anybody who wants to donate, it's playforkate.com, right? Yes. Yep. Our website is playforkate.com or we have the Play for Kate Facebook page also. Yes. And then the last thing, of course, is the helmet law, the ATA 1200. Um, Kate was number 12. She was actually wearing her softball jersey, um, number 12, the day she was killed. So the law does carry her number. Some people call it Kate's law, but that is mandating that any kid under the age of 18 on both public or private ground in Indiana must wear a helmet on an ATV. Gosh, Ashley. So... (sighs) And Kim, we have only had two deaths since, and that's still too, too many, but, um, there were, we were having lots of child fatalities in Indiana, um, prior to, to Kate's law. And at the time, state representative Arnold carried, um, 1200. He is, was from Crawford County around Perry County area. Um, and everyone told us, yes, that we would not get it passed, um, or that, you know, they tried to discourage me that it, it'll take forever. It won't happen. And in less than a year, um, the bill was passed. And in almost three years, we've had two child deaths. And, and I know the day Kate was killed, there, were, there was another girl killed the same day as Kate on an ATV. And the day before I testified at the house, there was um, a young boy in Pike County who was killed on an ATV. And that was my opening statement to the house. And the day before I testified at the Senate, a five-year-old girl in Posey County was killed on an ATV. And that was my opening statement to the Senate. So we were having lots of child fatalities. And so the helmet laws has been a huge um deterrent and it is saving kids lives but then also we have safety sam the atv safety robot that we've built and patent that's going around and talking to communities about atv safety so the law you know great good laws and good enforcement definitely will save lives but we know that education is key absolutely absolutely um and i know too that some of you who are listening may even be thinking like, I need to reach out to Ashley and I know how open you are to that. And so I'm actually going to spell your name for everybody because what a name you have there, Bruggenschmidt, um, if they want to find you on Facebook. Is that okay, Ashley? Absolutely. So it's A-S-H-L-E. Or can they can just message play for Kate if they want. On oh, Facebook. okay. That there you go. Easier. 
Yeah, there you go. Just message Play for Kate on Facebook, um, and mm-hmm. then Ashley will get that message. So, Ashley, what's life like for you today? Well, I would say it's a roller coaster, um, you know, especially with COVID and whenever you're home, you know, when you're supposed to be home all the time and not near as busy because staying busy and like I said, helping others is always helping me heal. Um, And whenever you have to stay at home and you have a lot of time on your hands um, and you see a lot of negativity, it's that can get you down. And my daughter, Emma, and I talk about that a lot that we're going to focus on, on the positive that, you know, when after the death of your 11 year old daughter, a virus doesn't, it doesn't scare, it doesn't scare me. Um, Mm-mm. because I believe that I've, that that is, if there's anything worse than enduring the death of your 11 year old daughter, I don't ever want to experience that. And that is the most traumatic thing that I know that someone can experience. And I would not wish that on, on my worst enemy. Mm -mm. And we call our angel mamas that we would, um, it's a club that no one wants to be a part of, but I am so grateful for those relationships, for those people in my life that have been able to, to pull me from the ashes. Um, I would never be able to come back into Sharon elementary school if it wasn't for my staff. Mm. Um, whenever they, I was awarded the elementary principal of the year, you know, that award is for them. I, I remember looking at them. I could not come back into Sharon Elementary. I took the year off as the principal because I couldn't take care of myself. How could I lead a school? How could I take care of, of these kids when I couldn't even take care of myself? And if it wasn't for them and believing in me and continuing to to cheer me on and to support what I'm trying to do with Play for Kate and in the school corporation, how many, you know, how many employers would, um, allow you to do that, to continue to advocate for kids to be safe, but also to, to still be an administrator and support what you're trying to do. So today I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for, um, the time that I had with Kate. I know that she made me a better person. I know that she makes a lot of us better. And I'm just grateful for the relationships of my friends, my staff, and this community that continues to to believe in me because I'm able to get up every day because of them. Yeah, I'm I'm interviewing Ashley and she's in her office and I'm looking right now. She has a ceiling tile that's, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it says play for Kate because it looks like a softball field with the play for Kate colors. So that hangs over your head in your office as you're, as you're going about your day. And, and my art teacher made that for me. So just another oh um, example of things that your staff does for you. So yeah, my art teacher painted that. So is it fair to say, Ashley, that are you happy? I am happy, Kim. You can find, you know, you can find happiness through, through the pain, through, through the trauma. Um, do I, am I going to say I'm happy every single day? No, I don't think any of us could say that, but I am happy. And that in itself, Ashley, just, there is somebody listening to this who needed to hear that because they feel like they will never 
ever smile again. They will never feel happy ever again. And to hear your story and to hear you be able to say those words, it it really does plant a pathway of hope for people who just need a teeny tiny dot of hope right now. So powerful. Well, and, I, and I was, like I said, I've been blessed to have people who have, have helped me find that hope um, because I had lost hope too. Yes, yes. So I'm going to end this with a few questions. Um, I like to do these rapid fire questions now at the end that are just kind of fun and lighthearted. But before I give you those questions, I want to know, I want to know what do you feel like, and I bet you you could come up with a hundred things, but what has has being having been Kate's mother and the gift that she was to you and your family and that she continues to be today. But what is one of the best gifts that Kate as a human being gave to you as just a person? I'm sorry, you cut out just a little bit. Yeah. What is what is gift? Yeah. What was, what was one of the greatest gifts that of being Kate's mother? I would say of her teaching me to be selfless. Mm. That she was very, very selfless. And, you know, thinking back to even before her accident, um, I think there were, there's times where we're all selfish, um, but she was so giving to, to others and she put everybody else before her. And it made me even reflect on my leadership and being more of a servant leader and um, just making, making me better. So I would say her, her heart and her just being so, so selfless. Gosh, wow. To be such a little human being and to have that. Wow. It says a lot about who she, who she was and who she is and what she represents. So Thank you so much. Are you ready for the rapid fire questions? Question number one, are you binge watching any show right now? I just finished binge watching Sweet Magnolias and I loved it. Oh, I'll add that to my list. I haven't watched that. Okay. Question number two, what is a luxury that you have in your life right now? Oh, well, I just got back from the beach. So I always think any time at the beach is a luxury and I'm going back there in another month. So I oh. need beach, therapy. beach therapy is my luxury. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Number three, what is something that people really don't know about you? Um, that I'm pretty athletic. I don't know if a lot of people would, would know that thinking of a principal and, but I, I am very athletic. I love all kinds of sports, basketball, volleyball, softball, track. Um, I am a sports fanatic. Awesome. Awesome. And number four, your favorite food? Probably pizza. Ha, that's what the last person said. Pizza. <laughs> Mine's crab legs. I love crab legs. <laughs> My daughter Emma loves crab legs too. I Those are hard to find. A rich guy. She's yeah. not a cheap date. <laughs> exactly. She's not a cheap date. 
And then the last question is, how is Ashley reaching for more joy in her life right now? You know, trying to slow down, actually, and just enjoying the time together. I think before I would, I tried to fill my time to keep my head busy. And through the, through the virus and, and Dr. Schrader would always talk to me about whenever you're hiking and just kind of finding silence and healing and solitude. And that, that has really helped just trying to slow down and enjoy the time that you have with everyone and just enjoy your time. I love that. It's, it's actually something that I struggle with very much so. I too keep my mind and body very busy. Um, And so I am trying to embrace that a little bit more. I went outside last night at like eight o'clock because it's really, we've had some nice evenings in Southern Indiana and I did not take my phone and I just sat in the lawn chair um, and just felt the breeze for like 10 minutes, you know, and I too am trying to be a little more intentional about that. So I love Mm -hmm. that. Yes. Well, Ashley, I tell you, just you sharing your story, um, the good, the bad, the hard, the painful, as well as the fact that you continue to choose hope day after day. Um, It's really just incredible that you took us along for this today. And I'm really honored that you um, allowed me to ask you some of these hard questions and, and just to share about Kate and and who she was as a human being and how she continues to contribute to the world today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Kim. Thank you for letting me tell her story and thank you for for what you do because I love your quotes that you'll put. I'll be scrolling through Facebook and I'll see a Kim Strobel quote and it will it will make me smile. And I just appreciate all that you do for focusing on happiness and and self-care because it it is important. So I appreciate your time and you asking me and I'll make sure that I send you those um, books. Yes. If you need anything else, you let me know. I sure will. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Kim. Bye-bye. We did it. Thank you so much for listening in on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm honored to share this space with you, and I hope you keep showing up as the real you in this world. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you.